to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we're continuing the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and today we've gotten to chapter 9. I want to start off with a question, as I often do. What is your greatest accomplishment? To this point in your life, for some of you, that's a longer period of time than others. Some of us are looking at our last couple of decades Some of you are looking at most of the rest of your life. Some of you are right smack in the middle. But what is the greatest thing that you have accomplished so far in your life? And you might ask, well, in what area? You're talking about occupation. You're talking about spiritual. Just just what comes to mind? Just what comes to mind? But since you're not dead yet, as far as I can tell, what great thing or what great things do you still hope to accomplish before you end this life. You know, I was, I I deliberately chose these questions because it goes along with my theme for today. And I thought, you know, a lot of times I'll ask a question and I know exactly what my answer would be. And I thought, as I think about this, what would my answer be to these questions? What is my greatest accomplishment in life? And what do I hope to accomplish before God takes me home? And I wrestled with the same question, in what area, your occupation, whatever, and I thought, well, just overall, just overall. And I think I came up with an answer for me, won't necessarily be the same answer for you, but apart from relationships, relationships are wonderful, but as far as actually accomplishing things, I thought, what would I consider my greatest accomplishment? And it just came to me, it's not something earth-shaking, it's not earth-shattering on the surface, but for me, I think I would have to say that I think the greatest accomplishment that I've had so far in my life... And it's also the same thing that I want to continue to accomplish until I get to the end of my life, is that I have tried with all my heart, not always successfully, but I've really tried with all my heart ever since I gave my heart to Jesus at 10 years of age to live consistently for him and not go off and do something else and not leave it behind and not deliberately go off and do some kind of big off-track thing, but just have deliberately tried to do what he wanted me to do and walk with him. And, And whatever success I've had... And I think it's been pretty successful, and I can say that because it's not because, because of me, it's because of him. You know, it, it, I love our church. I love our people. If by some chance God would allow this church to grow to 2,000 people, I'll be honest with you, I think I would still say the same thing about the accomplishment in my life because that's what's come to my mind. But the reason I ask this question, and there's no right or wrong answer in your mind, you know, what is your greatest accomplishment? What do you want to try to accomplish? The title of what I want to talk to you about today is Called to Great Things. Called to Great Things, because I believe that God calls every single one of us to great things. I believe that God wants you to accomplish great things. Now, by that, I don't mean great things in the eyes of the world necessarily, but I mean great things in the eyes of God. And can I tell you, I'd rather do great things in the eyes of God than just great things in the eyes of the world. Or even great things in the eyes of the church. But whatever God wants, God wants to do great things in you and through you. And by those great things, I don't mean just something that means you leave a great legacy, although I'm sure that's true. 
In fact, I know that's true if you do what God wants you to do. But something that's going to make a difference forever. Not just something that makes a difference for your lifespan or maybe something that makes a difference for a while past your lifespan because of the people and the things that you've influenced, but something that makes a difference for eternity. And so today, as we look at our passage, we're going to see how Jesus sent his disciples out to make a difference, to accomplish great things. Even though we may not put ourselves on that same level, those 12 disciples, some of the instructions and some of the things that this passage says about those disciples apply to us just at a different level. So I want us to jump in right away, and we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 9. Before we're done, we'll go all the way through verse 10, starting in verse 1, but we're just going to read it a little bit of time as we go through. So let's jump in and just read the first two verses. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, we read those two verses, and we're talking about great things, great things Jesus is sending them out to do, great things God wants us to do. And probably for most of us, we'd say, I don't fit in that group. You got these 12 guys, the 12 disciples. These are leaders. And we know from the Bible and from church history, they're going to become, you know, right now they're disciples and they're going to become right now is when they actually transfer from disciples to apostles. And I'll tell you why in just a little bit. They're going to become great church leaders. They're going to be known all through church history of having a tremendous impact on getting God's work started. How can we fit ourselves into that same group? And I would just say that we can because we're all followers of Jesus if we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that even though it may not be at the same level as the original 12 disciples, 12 apostles, God wants to do similar things through us that he did through them. And that's what we're going to look at today. Okay? So we have these 12 leaders, these 12 disciples. They've just become apostles. I'll just go ahead and explain what that means. The reason I say that they've now transferred from being just disciples to where they're also apostles is in the meaning of the word. A disciple is a learner, is a student, is a follower. And that's what the disciples have been up to this point, and they will continue to be. But an apostle means a sent one, someone who's been sent out to accomplish something. And this is the first time that Jesus is sending the 12 disciples out. And we often look at the 12 disciples, 12 apostles as the leaders of the church. You know, if we look at today, pastors and elders, the leaders of the church. But we're going to find later down the road when we get to Luke chapter 10, that Jesus sends out a different group or another group. The 12 are part of them, but it's the 72. This includes the leaders, but this includes the lay people. Just the everyday followers that were with Jesus were available at that time. He says, you guys go out. This is where we fit in. Or if you think as a pastor, I'm kind of not in that group. This is where you fit in. Everyday followers of Jesus. Jesus is going to send out in Luke chapter 10 to do the same thing that he's sending the disciples out to do here. So what Jesus says here in a very real way applies to us today. And the points that I want to make, I have worded in such a way that they apply to us. We'll talk about how they applied to these 12 disciples, these 12 apostles. 
But I want us to get it right from the very beginning of how does this apply to us? So let's jump in. The first thing is this. Jesus calls us. Jesus calls us. Jesus calls you. And if you have a relationship with him, he already has called you. It says at the very beginning of verse 1, and Jesus called the twelve together. And Jesus called the twelve together. You know, at the most basic level, Jesus calls us to himself for relationship. Jesus calls us to himself for relationship. Now, for these twelve disciples, that's already happened. We have other stories in the gospel. We've looked at several in Luke. You find some in Matthew and Mark and John, you know, and we don't even have a recording of every single one of the 12 disciples, the specific moment when Jesus called them to himself, but he did. Some of them were just one-on-one. Some they called, he called his brothers, like Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John. But there was a moment in time when Jesus reached out to them, called them to himself. But it wasn't just to say, hey, you're going to be one of the 12. You don't know what that means, but history is going to talk about you. He didn't call them just to be one of the 12 so they could establish the church and become the leaders. He did do that. But before he ever called them to do stuff, he called them to himself to have a relationship with him. And the same thing is true for us. I love the way Mark puts it in Mark 3.14. It says, And Jesus appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out. So often we focus on the send them out because they get busy, they do stuff, you know, and then they go into church history as establishing God's kingdom, God's church on this earth. But notice how it says he appointed them so they might be with him. I think that's a clue. I think that's a hint that the primary purpose, the foundational purpose, even before the things he was going to have them do, he just wanted to be with them. He wanted a relationship with them. He wanted that personal interaction with each and every one of them. We see this in um, in our own lives. God has a plan for our life. It's a wonderful plan. I've said many times God's plan for your life is a whole lot better than any plan you can come up with on your own. But it starts with a personal relationship. It starts with what we call salvation. Because the only way we can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is to be saved from our sins. And that's what he came to do, was to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sins. And then once we're saved from our sins... We begin to grow in that relationship with him. We begin to mature. We begin to learn more. You know, I think one of the greatest illustrations we see of this with the disciples, and I've mentioned this before, and I know many of you have already participated in this. You know, how many of you have seen any part of the series that's been coming out the last couple of years called The Chosen? The great majority. Yeah. If you've not checked it out, I really encourage you to check it out. A group of people God laid on their hearts to begin to portray the life and ministry of Jesus and his disciples. And it makes it come alive. It's so real. And one of the things that is so neat about it is to see the relationships between Jesus and the individual disciples. That they're close. They're real. They're human. They laugh. They joke. They deal with issues. 
Jesus wants that same relationship with us. Just as he called them to himself for relationship, he calls us to himself for relationship. I've shared so many times. I remember when I was 10 years old and my mom shared the gospel with me for the first time. I'd been going to church, but I didn't really know Jesus. I knew some stuff about the Bible and spiritual things and religious things. But I remember when my mom shared the gospel with me about the fact that we are all sinners separated from God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, we are separated from God and will be for all eternity unless something is done and there's nothing that we ourselves can do. But that's why God sent Jesus. That same verse that says the wages of sin is death also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it wasn't that God sent Jesus down here to say, hey, I got a gift for you. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. No, he had to pay the price for the gift. You see, it's a gift for us because we'd have to pay the price. You know, if somebody gives you a gift, you don't pay for that, right? If somebody says, I got a gift for you, but you got to pay for it, it's not a gift. But the gift from God, we don't pay for because Jesus already paid for it. As I mentioned a moment ago, it was his death on the cross. He, God himself, come to earth, took on the form of man, lived the perfect life that we cannot live, and then died a death he didn't deserve to pay the price for our sins. And so the Bible says that if we'll just come to God and we'll repent of our sins, the sin's what's put the barrier between us. Say, God, I'm sorry, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. And I know that your word says that you will forgive me if I put my trust in what Jesus did for me. So I'm going to do that. That's why the Bible talks about repent and believe. We repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus and we believe in who he is and we believe in what he's done and that what he did, he did it for me. And so we come to him and say, God, please forgive me. I am a sinner. I accept Jesus Christ and what he did for my life. I ask for forgiveness based on what he's done. And I thank you that your word says that I can be forgiven. Now help me to live for you. Help me to get victory over this sin that caused the problem in the first place. That's the simple gospel. That's the gospel we want to have proclaimed when we have our special services in the next couple of weeks. That's the gospel we need to understand and apply to our own lives. And that's the gospel that God would love to use you, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, to share with other people. But it starts out with Jesus calling us to himself for relationship. And I can tell you that since I was 10 years old, 52, almost 53 years ago, I have enjoyed such a wonderful relationship with Jesus. He's always been there for me. I haven't always understood what he was doing and why he was doing and why he was taking so long to do stuff I wanted him to do. But over the years, I found out he knows what he's doing. And it's not just been about, okay, now I'm good to go to heaven. Or, okay, now i got to do all the stuff God wants me to do. Those two things are true. But I have an ongoing, personal, daily relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus calls us all to. That's what Jesus calls us all to. Now, I've got the rest of the sermon to complete here, but... Let me just pause and say that if you are here today or if you're watching online or you're listening to this on a podcast or maybe you're listening to it a year from now because it's going to be recorded and stored and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't have that personal relationship, I urge you, I encourage you, I implore you, 
Surrender your life to Christ. Come to Him in repentance for your sin. Trust in Him for your salvation. And then depend upon Him to live His life in and through you. So, Jesus calls us. He primarily, first of all, calls us to Himself for a relationship. He did it for the disciples. He does it the same for us. The second thing is that Jesus calls us together for responsibility. We're still in that Jesus calls us. He calls us to himself for a relationship, but he calls us together for responsibility. I don't know if you noticed that word in the passage here. It says, and Jesus called the 12 together. I hadn't really noticed that much. You know, I've been, I've been doing this, you know, long time and I never really paid that much attention. He called them together. Why does he say he called them together? Why didn't he just say he he called the disciples and blah, 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 blah. He says he calls them together. I think it's meant to imply a couple of things. One of them is the fact that, you know, in the beginning of Jesus' ministries, the ministry of the disciples would be with Jesus, but sometimes they would go back home for a little while. You know, at the beginning he called them. It was just kind of getting started, but they weren't all together 100% of the time. Eventually it got to that, and it's probably getting to that point now where they're all going to be together from now until the time that Jesus dies. So it could be that it's indicating that this is one of those particular times that Jesus and the disciples have been doing various things and they kind of went home to take care of family business for a while and now it's time to get back together again. It could mean that. It could also mean that they were, quote, together, but they were all kind of doing their own thing. Now this real important thing's going to happen. So Jesus says, okay, let's all get together. Let's all get together. Let's all get together. The point I want to make, though, is that to fully accomplish what God wanted to do, they needed to be together. And that was true for the disciples. And even as he sends them out this time, and then later on with the 72, he, he doesn't send them out alone. He sends them in groups. A couple times it mentions two by two, but at least two. Okay. And what I think this emphasizes to us is that when Jesus calls us to have a personal relationship with him, that's so important, but we don't do that alone. We do that together. All of scriptural's teaching is that God's people are to be together, to be there for each other, to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to challenge one another. Sometimes you hear about people that have been hurt, unfortunately have been hurt in a church situation. And they decide, I don't want to be a part of a church anymore. And I feel so sad for those people because they've not experienced what church is supposed to be. Church, the body of Christ, is to be a loving family. Yeah, we can get on each other's nerves sometimes. Yeah, we don't always agree about everything. But you know what? The stuff that we disagree about, that is nothing compared to all the things that we do agree about. And so we love God together and we love each other and we're there for each other and we encourage one another. But sometimes you find somebody say, well, I don't want to be part of a church. I can be a Christian and not be part of a church. And that statement is true. Because to be a Christian... You just need to know Jesus is your Savior and you're trusting in Him for your salvation. But you cannot fulfill the will of God for your life without being part of a local body of believers. Whether it's a big church, small church, home church, whatever it is. Because everything the New Testament teaches is that God's purposes needs to get out there in the world and we do that together. We don't do that one-on-one. There are, there are no Lone Ranger Christians that are serving God completely. We do that together. And let me just pause and say this, that if you are one of those, if you're here today, we are so glad, but if you're watching online and you're one of those who say, you know what, I really don't want to be a part of church. I've been hurt too much. Or maybe there's another reason. 
I challenge you and I encourage you to pray that God will help you get beyond that, to heal from that, and to be a part of a church. If you're in this area, we want to be our church, <laughs> where people love and support and encourage you. And we all work together to accomplish things for God. So Jesus calls us together for responsibility, for responsibility. We go on to the second thing. Jesus not only calls us, but Jesus commissions us. See, this gets into the, starts getting into that responsible, responsibility thing. If he calls us for responsibility, what is that responsibility? Well, before we even get to the responsibility, we find that Jesus commissions us. What do I mean by that? It means that Jesus is going to give us what we need to do what God calls us to do. Look at it in the passage here. Again, in verse 1, right after it says, And Jesus called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority. So it said Jesus called them. Now it says Jesus gave them. I didn't want to use Jesus gives. I wanted to use all C's. Preachers do that sometimes. So, And it fits. It works. It's what it means. Jesus commissions them. He commissioned the disciples. They are now in that transition time. They're going to move from a disciple, a learner, a follower, a student, to one who is sent. Okay, So he is commissioning them, and he's saying, I'm going to give you what you need. You need power, and you need authority, because you ain't got none. That's not the English Jesus used, because Jesus didn't use English. But Jesus is basically saying, I've got the power. I've got the authority. You've seen it at work. I'm going to allow you to share in that. I'm going to give you some of mine, so that you can go out, and I won't even be around And you can do what I'm calling you to do. So I am commissioning you. I'm giving you what you need. So Jesus commissioned them and equipped them with power and authority. The same power and authority he had been demonstrating. And that is true for us too. Did you know Jesus wants you to operate in his power? Did you know that Jesus wants you to operate and live your life under and with his authority? And you might say, who, me? I can't imagine that. I mean, I can understand for the disciples, but you got to understand the disciples, they're a mess. At this point in their life, they're probably more of a mess than you are. Well, maybe not all of you. Not that I've got anybody in mind. You read the stories. The disciples made mistakes all the time. They fought with each other. They argued about who was the greatest one. And it wasn't like, you're the greatest one. No, you're the greatest. No, it's like, I'm the greatest one. You're nobody. Okay? So they had their problems. But Jesus says, I'm still going to entrust you. And he does the same for us. I think the thing that best describes it is this passage that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 1.27, where it says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. There's where we all fit. We can all be pretty foolish sometimes. We can all feel pretty weak. But you know what? God can use us. And he commissions us. He commissions us. I think of my own personal testimony. I never planned to be a pastor. And the main reason I never planned to be a pastor is I didn't think I could. I saw my own pastor and saw other pastors. I thought, I could never do that. I could never get up in a group of people and talk like that. 
And my particular pastor was very enthusiastic. I mean, he would pound the pulpit and he would stomp across the stage and, and he'd raise his voice and be very animated and I'm still working on all that stuff. But that's okay. God calls us to be who we are, but to the best of our ability. Okay? But I'd look at him in this big church I was part of. I could never be a pastor. And I thought, mm-hmm. many of you know myself. I was going to be a Bible college professor. And uh, But God, through the way he worked, showed me that, no, he wanted to be, become a pastor. But it's not because just of, it's not just because of my education that's important, but it's because of God's call and because he commissioned me. And he says, I'm going to give you what you need. You will do it in my authority because I'm the one that called you and you will do it in my power as you trust in me. So same for the disciples, the apostles, same for me, but it's the same for you. And I'm not saying God's calling you to be a pastor. But whatever it is that he calls you to do, and certain things he calls us all to do, you can do it in his authority and you can do it in his power. So let's just talk about these real quick, okay? We all have different gifts, callings, abilities, but God wants to use us. So Jesus, first of all, gives us his power. Okay, so Jesus commissions us and do that. He gives us his power. Mentions here specifically, he gave his disciples his power. How do we know that's true for us? Because before Jesus ascended into the heavens, he talked to his disciples and he said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You might say, well, he was still talking to the 12 disciples. Yes, he was. But later on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and filled not just those disciples, but a whole group of 120 with his power and his amazing presence, Peter got up and preached and he said, listen, this is what God has said, that this is for everybody that trusts in him. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you one of my pet peeves as a pastor. I didn't mean to even that come up. Pee, 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 pee. Anyway. People, myself included, get so excited about Pentecostal power. We're a Pentecostal church. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit, it makes me feel so good. You know, God moves and you got this tremendous experience that you have and God's doing great things and wow, look what God did, look what God did and there's nothing wrong with that and we're so glad for the experiences that we can have with God but that's not the purpose of Pentecostal power. That's not the distinctive of being Pentecostal. Jesus said what it was. I'm giving you this power not so you... He, he doesn't say this. He didn't say, I'm giving you this power so you can have a great experience. I didn't... I'm not giving you this power so you can feel good. I'm not giving you this power so you can like, you know, have this great thing happen physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He said, I'm giving you this power so you can be witnesses. So if we're Pentecostal... It's not demonstrated on how good we feel or what kind of experiences we've had by itself. It's are we trying to reach people for Jesus? That's why he's given us the power. I just want to challenge you. Scripture indicates that God puts his Holy Spirit within us when we're saved. But then there's a, a there's an experience that goes beyond that. We say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. The disciples went through that. A number of people in Acts... 
And God poured out his spirit upon them in a phenomenal way. But then we see that later on, they get fresh fillings, get fresh fillings. I didn't put it in my notes, but Paul says in Ephesians, be filled with the spirit. And the, 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 the tense in the Greek is continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to always be praying, God, fill me afresh and anew with your spirit. Not just so I can have a great experience, but so I can be better used by you. I urge you, I encourage you to put that in your prayers every day. Lord, fill me afresh and anew with your power, with your Holy Spirit, so I can do what you want me to do. So Jesus gives us his power, but he also gives us his authority. He gives us his authority. Again, before Jesus ascended to the heavens, one of the times they met together, they're on a mountain, and Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, we most often associate this with missions, but it has to do for all of us. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, okay, guys, just just make it clear. I've got all authority. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, listen, I've got all the authority. Now I'm going to send you out. And you're going to go out in my authority. You have my authority. It's like an ambassador going to another nation that has the authority of the one who sent them. In fact, Paul says we are Christ's ambassadors in this world. And we have Jesus' authority. Not his authority to do whatever we want. Not authority to demand that anybody do anything or even that God do anything. But we have his authority to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us. Even if we're not capable. We've got his authority. So he commissions us. We don't serve Jesus in our own power and authority. He gives us his. And I want you to grasp that because you may have been held back in all that God wants you to do because you're thinking, I can't do that. There's just no way. And you know what? You're probably right if you just think about it in the natural. But can I tell you, you can do anything God calls you to do because he'll give you his power. And his authority. And that leads us to the third thing. Jesus not only calls us and commissions us, but Jesus compels us. I told you I'd have three C's. He compels us. We see this in the story when Jesus said he gives the disciples power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out. There's the compelling. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. It's time for the disciples to leave the nest. You know what that means? An old saying like, you know what? You've been growing, developing, learning, whatever, but it's time for you to get out there and do something. You know, if you're a parent, you know that there comes a time that needs to happen. Some of your parents, the kids are still at home. It's like, yes, it really needs to happen. But it's too soon if your kids are only three and five, okay? (laughs) You may want it to happen, but it's too soon. All right. Anyway. It's time for the disciples to leave the nest. Jesus is, they've been traveling with Jesus. He's been, they've been learning. They got a lot more to learn. You see, the learning never stops. I'm still learning stuff. Hopefully you're still learning stuff. But it's time for them to leave the nest. And they're probably scared. You know, we look at them and, and say, oh, Jesus is sending that. Probably when I'm real confident. Like, yeah, let's go. They're probably like, he's sending us out too. Okay. When we get to this house, you talk. Okay, confession time. 
How many of you have ever gone out with somebody else or a small group of people and you were supposed to like share your faith or whatever and you were always pointing to the other person saying, well, you, you, you be the one to talk. I'll confess I've done that before. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with our personality, all that kind of stuff. And, but, but, but the thing is, the thing is they're just as scared. They're probably just as scared as we would be in the situation. This is their first time out and Jesus isn't going to be there with them. If they mess up, who's going to fix it? You know? But Jesus has confidence in them. Not confidence they're going to get it perfect because they're not. But confidence that they can work on it and get better at it. And with his authority, with his power, they can make a difference. And the same thing is true for us. We're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to just automatically think of the best thing to say or the best way to go about something. But Jesus, I trust you. Just go forth dependent on me, you know, and take a step. Let me use you. So Jesus compels us. They're making a change from just bringing in to giving out. And we need to make that same step. We need to make that same step. You know, all of us were born into this world. I think I can say that um, pretty confidently. I mean, you may have had a brother or sister said, I think, don't think you were born, I think you were hatched or something like that. But all of us were born into this world. And once we were born, we began to grow, develop, learn, and all that kind of stuff. And as I said, the learning never stops. But at some point, we need to become independent and we need to start doing stuff, not just getting stuff. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. So Jesus compels us. First of all, Jesus compels us to speak, proclaiming the good news. Jesus compels us to speak, proclaiming the good news. Now, some translations say preaching the good news. I like proclaiming better because when people think of preaching, they think of a pastor preaching a sermon. The word there is the same word for preaching, but it's also the word for proclaiming. And it can include preaching, but at its basic root, it just means that you share what you know. Have any of you ever shared good news with somebody? I don't mean necessarily the good news of the gospel, but you heard some good news and you shared it with somebody. We all have. You know, we hear something really good and we got to share it with somebody. That's the idea here. We know something good. We need to share it with others. And so Jesus is compelling the disciples to speak. He says, you're going to go out and you're going to share about the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus hadn't died yet. So they couldn't go out and talk about how Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins and because it hadn't happened yet. At this point, the good news is that the kingdom of God is coming. God is breaking into history, getting ready to do something phenomenal. Get yourself ready. But after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the fullness of the gospel became known. What I shared a little while ago, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, but Jesus died to be our Savior, and we can trust our lives to Him and come to Him in repentance, get forgiveness, and begin to live for Him. And that's the good news. So Jesus compelled them to go out and speak about the kingdom of God, and He compels us to do the same thing, that God can make a tremendous impact in your life and save you from your sins. We're not always comfortable with it. But we need to learn to share our faith. I didn't put it in my notes, but Peter talks about, I've mentioned this verse and preached on it many times. He says, listen, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have for anybody that would ask you. Okay? 
And I would also add to that, not just when people ask you, but when God opens the door, they might actually ask you, hey, why are you so happy? Hey, why do you see to have peace? Hey, why? But you know, you may have an opportunity where you can talk to somebody and say, man, you're really going through a tough time. They expose, they, 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 they explain to you they're going through a tough time. He says, you know what? I wish you could understand the source of peace that I have. So what is your source of peace? You tell them about Jesus. Somebody's overwhelmed. They don't know how they're going to pay their bills. And man, I wish I could share with you the confidence that I have that I'm going to be okay. Well, why do you have confidence? Because of my relationship with Jesus. Just about any situation where you develop a relationship with someone and they begin to share with you, you can open the door, not forcefully, but open the door to share with them about Jesus and the difference he's made in your life, if he's made a difference in your life. So Jesus compels us to speak, proclaiming the good news, but he also compels us to serve. Performing deeds of compassionate service. That sounds kind of official. That's the way I put it. Jesus compels us to serve, performing deeds of compassionate service. Here he sends the disciples out to heal and deliver people from demonic spirits. God may never use you to do that. He might. There are still people that need healing, and there are still people that need to be delivered from evil spirits that are plaguing their lives. And you never know. God may have you pray for someone, and they'll get healed. God may have you pray for someone who's mentally tormented, and you may or may not know that's caused by an evil spirit, and God may deliver them. But that's not all it's limited to. That's what he told the disciples specifically to do. But when we look at the teaching of all of Scripture, God calls all his, peoples to go, all his people to go out and serve other people and help meet their needs in whatever way that we're able, in whatever way God calls us to, in whatever way God provides for us to. So it's not just the miraculous, it's the simple things. When we see people in need, that we show them love. Jesus was constantly meeting people's needs because of his compassion. And we need to always pray that God would give us the same compassion and the desire and willingness to reach out and meet other people's needs. The word for healing in Scripture is not just physical healing. It's emotional healing. It's spiritual healing. It's a concern for wholeness in every area of life. I think of many ways that God uses this in the world, some that we support as a church. There are some missionaries that go to the field. They're not primarily preachers. They're doctors. And God leads them to set up a mission or a clinic. They're helping people with a physical need, but in the process they have the door to share the gospel. I think of one project that we support every month. It's called the Oasis, Africa Oasis Project. It's an organization, a ministry that goes into Africa, and by God's leading, they choose certain villages where they have no water. People may have to walk an hour every day to get water and bring it back for the day. And God says, okay, drill them a well. And they drill a well, and now that village has water. And they have the opportunity to share the gospel. So many testimonies come out of that ministry of where they went into a village to drill a well to provide for the simple need of water for that village. And so many people came to know Jesus because they saw Jesus' love demonstrated in them coming to do that for free. We as a church support that. I think of Convoy of Hope. Every time there's a natural disaster or whatever, you know, we help support that too. They are there to help people because they are in crisis and in that, op- in that situation, they're able to share the gospel. 
There's just so many other examples I can think of for our own church. That's why we have a food pantry. Because we care about people. And there are people out there, they have a hard time, especially at the end of the month or at the end of their pay period. You know, their money's gone. They need some food and they can come here and get some food. We have a benevolence ministry. We don't, we can't do big giant things, but we can do little things. And we do for people that are in need because the love of Jesus tells us to do that. In fact, the Bible tells us that if we're not willing to meet needs as we can, we don't really understand the love of God. In 1 John 3, 16 to 18, John writes, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we need to be willing to sacrifice to help other people. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He says, listen, if we've really experienced God's love and that love is flowing through us, we will want to meet needs as we're able in the lives of other people. Obviously, the end goal is that they can know, you know, Jesus like we do. That's the most important need they have. And so there's this balance between speaking and serving, saying and doing, proclaiming and living. They both need to line up and God uses both of them and Jesus compels us to be involved in both. Be involved in both. Great opportunity this week. These weeks coming up. With the tent crusade coming up. Getting involved. Inviting people to come. But can I tell you that it's, it's what's behind every single ministry that we have as a church. Whatever that ministry might be. It's so that we can all grow closer to the Lord. We can reach out to more people. We can meet more needs. Our own with each other. But also other people that are out there. So any way in which you get involved in ministry. Even a very simple practical way. You're fulfilling this. You're doing this. We're going to wrap this up in just a couple of moments. But Jesus gives us some practical advice. And we're going to go through this very quickly. And I can't dig deeply. So you're going to have to study it primarily on your own. But I'm going to give you the main thoughts. Let's look at verses 3 to 6. After it says he, you know, sent them to proclaim, he gave them this this call. Verse 3, And Jesus said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Luke has got this really condensed. If you really want to dig into this, you can go to Matthew. He's got almost a whole half of a chapter expanding these instructions. Mark has an expanded version of them too. Here we just have the highlights. Let me tell you what these highlights mean for us. First of all, trust God to help you. When Jesus said, hey, get out there, just go. Don't worry about gathering up a bunch of stuff. Don't take an extra pair of clothes. Just go, okay? He didn't always say that. There were other times they went on trips, they had to make preparations. It doesn't mean the rest of their life means that they're just going to go and not take anything. It just means in this particular situation, he says, just go. I think this first time, Jesus wants them to understand that every time they need to totally depend on him. He says, you go, I'm sending you, I'll make sure you've got what you need. And so that applies to us too. Trust God 
to help you. Sometimes we put off getting involved in something. Sometimes we put off trying to share our faith. Sometimes we put off getting involved in a ministry because I don't really know enough. I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure what to do. And Jesus says, just take the step of faith. And I'm telling you to do something. Just do it. I'll be there with you. If you make a mistake, I'll help you get back up. You'll get it better next time. But just get out there and do it. But even if you've got all the experience in the world, maybe even decades of experience as a Christian, you still have to depend on God. I've been a pastor long enough to know I might could get up here and fake it real good to some, to some degree. It's not my heart. But for me to do what I do and it really be effective, I've got to depend on God. I can't do this by myself. It's got to be God working in and through me and working in you and you that are watching online. I pray about that all the time. So trust God to help you. The second thing is build relationships. Build relationships. When he says, whatever home you enter, stay there. From there, do not depart. The other um, gospels talk about, you know, don't go from house to house to house. The idea being if you go to one particular house and they welcome you in, but then you find out that somebody else has got better food, well, I'm going to go stay with them. He says, no, you go. Where God opens the door, you go and you stay there. In a very practical way, this is just where they're going to stay while they're in that town. A day, two days, three days, whatever. He says, but wherever God opens the door, you stay there and you build a relationship. You'll find the same thing if you look at the expanded versions in Matthew and Mark. He didn't send them at this time to go and start teaching in the synagogues or having great open-air meetings. Nothing wrong with those. There's a place for those. But he says, no, go and find a family that's open and build a relationship. Because you say the best way to see people come to know Jesus is through personal relationship. We're so glad we have the opportunity to have the tent crusade that we're going to have over the next couple of weeks. And there's a place for that. But can I tell you if and when and those people that are touched by that, it'll probably be because someone had a relationship with them and said, because of my relationship with you, I want to invite you to come with me. Many of them probably have already had someone share the gospel with them because of a personal relationship. And God's going to use that event as the crowning moment when they'll finally make a choice. But you know what? All it takes is just one person with another. Build relationships. The next one, don't get discouraged. When he says, wherever they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet, testimony against them. You can read all about the, tra- the, the, the um, tradition behind that. Basically was if you went someplace and you were rejected, you basically shook the dust off your feet to show that when you reject me, I reject you. Now this is not trying to say that, that you know, some kind of like, mm, forget you, Okay. But it's showing that if if they're going to reject God's message, eventually they're going to be rejected by God. Not because he wants to. In fact, it should have kind of a sad thing to it. It's like, oh man, you didn't accept it. But I say don't be discouraged because not everybody is going to accept the message. Not everybody's going to respond to it. Some will, but some won't. So don't get discouraged if you try to share your faith and they don't respond. But don't ever give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing with them when you have opportunity. I'm sure many of you probably, like we do, have family members that they know the gospel because you've had the opportunity to share it with them before and they know it. They don't need to hear it again, but they've rejected it for now. But you don't give up on them. You keep praying for them. You keep talking to them about whatever you can when they have an open door. But don't get discouraged. 
And the last one is this. Get started. I like what it says in verse 6. And they departed. And they went. Preaching the gospel and healing. They went. Jesus said, do it. They did it. Maybe with some hesitancy. Maybe with some fear. But they did it. May we do the same thing. Maybe not just enjoy getting together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night for Bible study or a men's meeting on Thursday or women's meeting on Tuesday. Did you catch all those commercials? Maybe not just get so happy about doing that that we don't bother trying to touch our world. But may all those things be things that strengthen us and prepare us so we can make a difference in our world. Because God calls us to great things. Anytime we touch someone else's life for the kingdom, it's a great thing. I'm going to wrap it up now, the results. Let's read verses 7 to 10, and we're ready to finish this up. What happened? This seems for a minute to be unrelated, but it's very important. Verse 7, now Herod the Tetrarch, he's the, the ruler, he's other places called a king, but Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him, verse 10. And on their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. So here we have two reports of the result of what's happening here. First of all, you have Herod, who is the ruler of this big, giant area. But because of what Jesus is doing, and I think this is put here deliberately, because of what the disciples are now doing with Jesus' power and authority, stuff's getting stirred up, and Herod says, what's going on in my area of responsibility? You know, he was the one that was responsible for putting John the Baptist to death. So somebody raised John the Baptist from dead, and look what he's doing. Well, that wasn't the case. Some said that he said Elijah come back because there's a great prophecy that Elijah the prophet would come back one day before the Messiah comes. Maybe it's some other, but Herod's like, what's going on? I tell you what, if we begin to do what God calls us to do full force the best we possibly can, one of the great positive responses people say, what's going on? Something unusual is happening. I can't help but think over the last month and a half or so, as I'm sure you've probably seen the reports of how God began to move on the campus of Asbury Seminary or University. There's two different organizations, but eventually both of them. And it kind of spread to other college campuses where students were seeking God and God began to move in their midst. They began to repent. There is both a revival and an awakening. The difference is revival is when something's dead and it needs to be alive. So technically speaking, we shouldn't pray for revival because that means we're dead. Okay, and we need to be alive. We need an awakening. That's what we need, okay? But if we're dead, we need a revival. Whatever you want to call it, though, God began to move. And the world took notice. That's kind of what happened here. But may that be true of our own personal life. People that know us say, you know, that person, there's something different about them. It's just, there's something different about them. What is it? But we see the disciples return and it says they were successful. They were successful. They returned and told them all they had done. Mark's account said that they were, and they went out and they did it and they did proclaim the kingdom and they were able to cast out demons and they were able to heal people. They were successful. But does that mean that everybody accepted what they brought? No. They just did what Jesus said and the ones that did accept it did and the ones that didn't 
didn't because the results are not up to them. The results are not up to us. We just carry out the mission. God has called you to great things. There's so many opportunities to be involved in something that really matters, something that really changes life, something that has eternal benefits. And God says we'll even have eternal reward for us as we serve him faithfully. The question is whether we will respond to his call and to his commission and to his compelling. I just want to tell you, Jesus is calling you today. If you don't have a relationship with him, that's the first thing. Most important, he wants a relationship with you. But he's also calling you to responsibility. To not just be taking in, but to be giving out. To not just be growing in your relationship with God as wonderful and as necessary as that is, but to begin to use that to touch your world. He invites you to use his authority and power. To be filled with the power of his Holy Spirit. And he compels you to speak. It's scary. Kind of hard to take that first but be willing to speak and he compels you to serve to find that place where you can do what he wants you to do let's all stand together this is one of those messages where you can say a prayer to commit yourself to doing that and I encourage and challenge you to do exactly that but it's not so much about getting prayed for or praying for yourself or praying for each other and all of a sudden you're just Boom, changed. It's an issue of once you leave here, what are you going to do when you walk out that door? So that's what I want you to kind of wrestle with and think about in the next couple of moments as our worship team leads us in a song. I'm going to invite our elders to come and Pastor Jan, any other prayer team members that are here if you want to serve in that way. As we often do, we are here to pray for you or with you about anything for yourself or for somebody else. But in the next couple of moments, Take the time to meditate on what God's spoken to you about and respond. But if you want to need prayer for anything, come. We'll pray with you. If you don't know Jesus and you're here today and say, today's the day I want a relationship with him, come. We'd love to pray with you about that. In just a couple of moments, one of us will come back up to close the service. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you, Lord. We magnify you. We glorify your name. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for what you have done in our hearts. We thank you for what you are doing in our lives. And I pray, Lord God, that as we go out of this place today, we would walk in your grace, in your strength, in your wisdom. And Father, we would take your love to our neighbors, to those we come in contact with. May we be your hands and your feet to the dying, the hurting, and the lost, oh God. Father, use us however you see fit. We bless you, we honor you, and we magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is 
ag.org.